This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. This episode is for you if you want to know the stages of healing and what those stages look like. We're going to jump right into it. Um, we've been talking about this for a while. I know CA has a lot of insight on this topic as well. So I'm actually really excited. I love this conceptualization of the healing journey. I really think it helps people understand their own stage of their mm-hmm. healing and where they are currently located and where they're aiming to be. And I hear a lot of narratives when we're talking about trauma healing that people feel like they're stuck. They start the work, they get to a couple of stages and we'll walk through what those are. And then it's almost this weird stagnation. Like they're, they're aware of what's going on. They're kind of, they're kind of in this weird funk and many people struggle with, okay, so what do I actually need to do to get to the next stage, to level up or to level into deeper, more connected to my trauma processing and to my trauma healing. And so I'm going to outline a couple of stages. This is kind of my own conceptualization. Obviously, I'm sure there's literature on this. There's different variations of knowledge out there on this. So As always, because this journey is your own journey and I want that journey to be fully consented to and fully autonomous, you do not have to adhere to this journey. If this makes sense for you, I invite you to explore these stages. If it's not for you, then just move forward and you do not have to adhere to this. All right. So let's start. Are you ready? Stage one. Stage one. All right. So The way I work through this for people is we can't solve a problem if we don't know it's there. Correct. So pretty basic, a pretty, (laughs) a pretty basic given. So the basic foundational elements to healing is knowledge, which is why I'm so excited to be living in this day and age. And I'm excited to be in this wave of media that people are actually consuming a lot of knowledge. They're consuming a lot of education. Yes. A lot of it's short form. Sure. We have to filter that out between good information, you know, harmful information. And at the same time we are, we're immersed in a lot of knowledge. It is our ability to kind of take that knowledge and do, you know, the work, but that's the first stage. We need to get to a state of knowledge, okay? So that means you're going to be immersing yourself in education from people who walked the journey that have a grounded sense of um, trauma processing, obviously mental health professionals, people that are psychologically safe. We've already outlined so many of those things. So typically that's where I would ask people to start. Where do I get the knowledge? I'd be like, okay, well, we need to go from those sources. Those are very important. So knowledge, knowledge is going to be asking yourself, what does my, what does trauma look like when it shows up in my life? Okay. So what does it look like 
in general, but then what is it looking like in my life, which is why a lot of people have started to delineate between, you know, the incidental trauma, the car accidents, the, um, you know, event that you thought you were dying, you know, you're panicking, you almost drowned or something, those incidentals. Okay. And not that that's any less valid, but those are, those are those like incidences of very, very heightened trauma shifts that can occur. Right. And then we have the complex trauma, which is, we will cover this soon. So don't worry. Um, the complex trauma, which we in this podcast label as drip trauma or insidious trauma, I phrase it that way for my clients. I know that it helps a lot of people conceptualize what that kind of trauma is And we're not going to go into the full episode, but that's basically trauma that will be long-term, longer term. It's, it's, it's not just too fast. It's like too long, right? It's like, I subjected you to criticism about your, um, weight every day. And I didn't, you know, take you to the, I didn't take you to the plastic surgeon. I didn't send you to fat camp. I didn't, whatever that were, whatever people label it as. I literally just told you every day, your pants are too tight. You don't look good. Okay. And people are going to be like, that's trauma, Jamie. You know what? I'm actually not apologetic about that anymore. I think before I was like, I get that you could, we do not get to tell people what harmed their identity? What harmed their psyche? So if someone's looking at me and saying that their parental model told them every day that their body is not good enough, their body is something that is to be rejected. Absolutely that can cause harm. Okay. So that's what I'm referring to about knowledge. If we can identify the way our trauma comes up and that's actually given to us through the knowledge foundation. Okay. We can understand. So this is like identifying, right? So this is like the ability to be able to walk out of into a garden and say, that's a daffodil. I know what a daffodil looks like. And that's what a daffodil looks like. It's exactly. Like just- and, and I like to tell people like, well, what's the difference between this stage and the next stage? So we get knowledge and then we go to awareness. Okay. So this is where it's tricky. So if I stand in front of, we're going to give you a simple example and then a more complex example. So if we go through the daffodils, I'm the educator. I show you a picture of a daffodil and I go, this is the knowledge stage. Here's a daffodil. This is what a daffodil looks like. It's typically these colors. It's typically this shape. This is the leaf pattern. This is the petal pattern, right? That's the, that's the knowledge. Awareness is you walk out, right? And like, you're knowing that you see a daffodil, but now you're aware of when you see it without, with the knowledge base, right? So you're walking out in the like, garden and you're now in the leveled up stage of knowledge, it's not just knowledge. It's also awareness. You're actually to pick out, oh, that's not a daffodil. That's a tulip. Oh, that's not a daffodil. That's a rose. Right. And you're able to delineate where that's showing up for you. So obviously that's yeah. part of knowledge. You have that's to almost have knowledge. like knowledge is like knowing that daffodils exist Yes, and like getting to understand from, you know, some sort of resource this is where daffodils grow and this is what they look like, et cetera, et cetera. So you're like, okay, so daffodils are a thing. And then awareness is going out and actually identifying them and seeing 
than for your own self and being able to differentiate them against other types of flowers and things like that. Right. I do. I do think that like identity can be found in both. I don't want to speak like completely like you can identification is part of knowledge because like you have to identify, well, what is trauma? What isn't trauma? What is like this? What isn't this? Like this is why when you're identifying, you're going to point to the parts of the flower, right? Like what Mm -hmm. part of this is the daffodil? Is it the grass? No, it's, it's a daffodil, right? So that is part of knowledge. I don't want to like mince my words here, but like it's a buildable foundation. And when I'm conceptualizing this, like when we're walking through this with you guys, all of these are buildable. So it's like knowledge is part of awareness. Yeah. Right? It, like it's like lumped in. It's like um, a nesting doll. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Okay. So I, I said we were going to do a, a simple example and a more complex example. I'm going to start introducing the more complex example when we get a little bit further down the line, but awareness to not completely skip over awareness. So awareness is we are interacting with our relationships, right? Our work relationships, our family relationships, our relationship with ourselves, right? And awareness is we're noticing when that trauma that just got educated into us is showing up in that dynamic. So I also include, please include yourself when you are like, when you are dialoguing with yourself, where does that come in? Where's your awareness of the way the trauma is speaking to you? What is your trauma brain saying to yourself? What is your parents saying? And is that part of the trauma informed like experience, right? Where does our partners play in? So now we're in this awareness stage, which is we're noticing where it's showing up and we're seeing it and we can actually identify it now. Okay. So we're not just identifying it in a vague way. Like trauma exists. Cool. No, we're identifying it in a personal way. It's actually becoming more of our own story now. And this is where I actually think some people can get stuck because I actually hear people get stuck here. It's not, I don't see it as much because I work with people in like more of an action stage, but you most likely know people that got stuck between knowledge and awareness because there are people that you have probably talked to and see, I'm sure you come up with an example, but it's this example of like, or it's this, this experience of like, no, like, I know, you know, that's messed up, but like, I literally saw you do what you just told me was messed up. Like two seconds ago. So obviously your awareness is not connected to that knowledge. that got- Yeah, exactly. Like you have the knowledge, but you haven't integrated it enough to be able to like see it when it's happening in real time mm-hmm. within your own interactions. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a not like, by the way, any of these stages people can get stuck at. So we'll try to pause a little bit. We might be able to circle back to different stuck stages, phases, but Okay. So awareness, then we move into belief. And this is where I'm going to introduce the more complex example, but belief, this is tricky because when we are moving from a stage of awareness into a stage of belief, this means that not only are we acknowledging that this is exists, we are now noticing when it shows up in our life. So we are now in awareness but we actually believe that it's worth examining and interacting with 
it's worth something. It's actually, it's a valuation. Okay. So when I mean, eval, I don't mean eval, I mean, a valuation. So you are valuing it in a way that you're holding it as important enough mm-hmm. to work on. Okay. So here we go with the more heavy example. Okay. I'm going to use the example of like racism. Okay. And I understand that me and Sia are two white women and believe me, I get this for a time. Many people would just refuse that racism does not exist. Okay. And over the course of many decades, people were trying to build knowledge bases of what racism actually looks like. So there were educators out there saying, wait a second. No, when you do X, Y, and Z, that's actually racism. And this is where the system benefits from your lack of knowledge. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because if there are not people out there educating you what trauma looks like or what racism looks like, or what xenophobia looks like, or what misogyny looks like, if there aren't people that actually tell you, Hey, Actually, that's what that looks like, right? You will never get to that stage of like change. You're just going to be like, well, this is just the way the world is, right? I mean, I never thought about when I'm working and when I'm glancing around my workplace, I never see someone that doesn't look like me. Um, That is important for you to sit with for a second, okay? So I'm going to use the example of racism because this is very, very important for people to walk themselves through, Okay. If you are educated in what racism looks like, whether it's in within, you know, within outside or like inside your own community, whatever that looks like. Okay. I want you to sit with that for a second and realize knowledge is just someone telling you what it is. Awareness is when I go outside and I start my day at work, I look around and I'm like, and you start witnessing actual. Yes. I'm real noticing. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing. Wait, hold on. I just realized that like, I just interacted with that customer service person and they were super nice to me. And then this person behind me that doesn't look like me is like being treated very cruelly, like in a very cruel way. And they acted the exact same way I did. What is that? right? So now you're tuning in, you're tuning in, you're noticing. Okay. And this is why it's a heavier example, but I want to use this example for a reason because you can see it more clearly with this example. Okay. So when we go into belief, this is a stage that people get stuck in. Do I believe that racism is worth combating? Do I believe that it's important enough to me? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't believe CA, I'm not going to advocate. I'm not going to change into action. And I'm honestly just not going to care. Would you say that belief also encompasses maybe this moment of in that example? So you have this knowledge base of what racism can show up as in a customer service interaction. Somebody educated you on that. You know, you saw a TikTok video about it or you read an article about it. Okay. And then the awareness. Okay. So then you start paying attention and you see this example in real life happen at the, at the customer service counter that you went to the next day. And then would you say that the belief stage also encompasses this part of our brain where we're going to go, maybe that wasn't racism though. Like maybe this is something else. Like, you know, you, you, you question whether or not racism was the actual cause Mm. for what you witnessed and you go, 
well, maybe it was just like that customer service person, like right when that other person showed up, like got a really bad, like pain in their back. And so then their temper got shorter or whatever, you know, and you try to like explain away that like, maybe it isn't racism, you know, like, would you say that this also encompasses that where our brains try to like find another way around it? Exactly. I think it it has something to do with the value, like the value system around it. And it has something to do with the way we are interacting with I guess devaluation, but it's also like invalidation. Like you're invalidating your actual, you're you're almost like instinctual response. Like, wait, it's very clear something's wrong here, right? And that's where we talk about. I know we haven't done a full episode on self gaslighting, but like this actually is where most of that's going to occur is the belief stage. Okay, so if I actually like, we can flip it out of racism for a second and go into like, let's go into like a toxic interaction. Okay, so I'm aware that oh, I'm, 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 I'm educating myself on family dynamics in a narcissistic family. Okay. I'm educating myself on that dynamic. Okay. So I'm in knowledge. I'm aware when I'm seeing a couple of those instances show up in my family. Okay. So I'm seeing a couple of those examples that someone taught me in my family. Yes. Belief is where I am now seeing, let's say a parental figure, let's put it into dad for except for example. So dad is celebrating every one of my sister's birthdays is calling her all the time. Obviously every sibling has a different relationship, whatever, um, flooding them with compliments, asking them questions about their life, constantly interacting, interacting with them. And you over the course of years consistently have tried to maintain a relationship with your dad. And it's just never been met with any type of reciprocation, right? reciprocation and your belief of, am I like, am I getting punished? Mm -hmm. Right. But I could sit there and I could totally re re narrate that. And I could say, he's just busy. And like, he, he sometimes has forgotten, like he's forgotten things in the past, like him forgetting my birthday, isn't that big of a deal. Right. Like Do you see how that, like now you're changing the belief of the narrative and that's actually a really easy place to get stuck. Because if I sit there and we, let's go back to the racism for a second. If I sit there and I say, oh, that's just a weird fluke. They probably just stubbed their toe or something. That's probably why that guy's in a bad mood. Right. And I keep saying that to myself, I am going to benefit from like deluding myself I am going to basically say, well, I want to be comfortable. So if I can stay in this stage of like, no, they didn't really mean to just like not text me for five days Mm -hmm. (laughs) or they, you know, they said they were busy. So I just believed them. And I go, yeah, like all these qualifiers are like, oh, that's not bad enough to be considered, you know, abuse. That's not it's, I don't know. Like, I just don't think it's like quite that, you know, I feel like if it would look different or I would, I would know it if I saw it, you know, like, and you're just kind of like trying to somehow or another come up with any other reasoning for the interaction or behavior that you're seeing. Right. But that's resistance to to your own. That's resistance to your own growth. Yeah. Like the responsibility that you would have moving forward. If, if you were to believe that the cause of this 
is abuse. The cause of this is racism. The cause of this is whatever. If you were to actually believe it, it's almost like your brain knows that there's going to be a next step. And you're like, I don't think I can do the next step. So why don't I try to convince myself that I don't believe it? Yeah. Mm, Right. Which is actually, this is why I linger a lot on belief, because I think in a lot of family systems, we do get stuck here. Um, Honestly, because many people, I do hear qualifiers a lot in when I'm doing this work with people is that they'll say stuff like, I mean, but my mom like fed me and like, she like, didn't like, you know, we didn't end up like on the street or something. Like she did the best she could. And I go, that can coexist with the trauma. Yes. She can feed you every day and it can coexist with the trauma that you are enduring. And she can make sure that you have a home over your head and that can coexist with the trauma that you're enduring. Like, do you see what I'm saying? It's like that belief of like, well, I can't believe that that's actually harmful to me because if I did, that means that I have to move forward in this. And this is why I try to explain to people this actual, like the stuckness in your healing stages create a lot of dissonance and a lot of anxiety. And I, I dare say that this is not, it's not on accident. I don't think it's on accident at all. I think it's actually that dissonance is the communicator. It Mm -hmm. is the thing saying, oh, we're going to be stuck here. If you keep self-gaslighting, if you keep saying that's not abuse and that doesn't hurt you and, and the way he's acting isn't harmful. And if you keep saying that's not racism, and if you keep saying, right, whatever, this is why we're dropping the simple example, because we're only going to go so far with daffodils. <laughs> Do you believe the daffodils? Right? No, we're going to drop this. <laughs> we're going to drop the simple example and go into the more complicated one. But the thing is, is like belief has everything to do with our healing is that that's why when I first started, it does have to do with worth and people get very, very, they get, uh, it's like that hot topic of people are like, so you're telling me I'm responsible for my healing, even though someone inflicted the trauma on me. Yeah. We touched on that in one of the previous episodes. And this is why I'm going to, you know, I'm going to revisit this for a second. It's this concept of like, the alternative to ignoring your own trauma sets you up to journey away from your authentic self. It journeys away from your authentic voice and it sets you up for a life that feels like it's founded in like trauma responses and you're in like this defensive mode. You're constantly like defending and you don't ever feel like empowered and you're always on the end of like someone else's trauma and you're sitting there and you're like, well, I guess this is what my life is like. You're going to feel like a passenger in your own life. You will forever just feel like you are in the passenger seat of this vehicle. You don't even know who's driving it. And you're just constantly stuck in that place of reactionary defensiveness, disempowered yeah, it's, it's a, it's tough. And I, I, and this is why circling back to the worth statement, this is tough because for someone who's grown up in trauma, incidental complex strip trauma, all of the variations that trauma shows up in our life. Okay. Someone's been raised through this mentality. It is very difficult for someone to feel like worth 
fighting for? And I mean, your relationship with yourself, are you worth fighting for? Because what happens at the other stage of belief is when you're moving into action, which is where you genuinely have to have, like you have sense of, yeah, self-worth. Like this is going to become necessary to get to the next part. Exactly. And this is why, I mean, I'm so with the racism narrative, it, in this example, it's actually happening. Like first, let's say it's happening outside of yourself. It's one of those things where like, if you believe that it's wrong, but you don't think it's worth acting on, you're never going to change how racism shows up in your life. You're actually going to sit at a party filled with people that make racist jokes and you won't say anything. Mm -hmm. Even though you believe that it's wrong. Exactly. You will still it because yeah, you don't want to be uncomfortable, which is where so many people in the BIPOC community genuinely see this as complicit. Like you're being complicit in it now. Okay. So like that example, and this is why I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to tell you that this is easy because believe me, there have been times where I'm like this huge advocate of mental health is not an adjective. And there are times where I'm sitting here and I go, do I want to open this Pandora's box right now? Do I want to go here? And this is where it's almost like that gray thing. Like if you're at a funeral and like this person says, like, you know, like I use these examples of like, there might be time and places of when you can have these fruitful, productive conversations. And there might not be always the opportunity to do that. It's just this concept of like, when you can see that past belief is actually moving into action. When you move past belief and you go into it deeper, when you're going deeper into your healing, you are now, we're going to cycle it back to ourselves. When we are getting to the point where we're seeing the trauma Mm -hmm. and we are believing that we are worthy of advocating for that, okay? We are now getting into conviction and application. I kind of say those at the same time. They're kind of a, there's a slight variance, but conviction is where you're practicing the belief, connecting it to action. Okay. So that conviction is I am so convicted that I am going to move to a state of action, which is obviously inherently just like application. Okay. Um, the reason why I even separate those two is that once you're in the state of application, you might not have to remind yourself all the time to be like, Oh, I got to get convicted enough to do this. Right. You might just be able to apply it. Okay. So when we're getting to the stages of continuous healing, right, we might have to like revisit all of the stages, but application doesn't always have to have like this call to, you know, the internal processing of conviction, you probably will already have it. I might actually want to add a little bit of nuance to that though, Jamie, because I actually do know people who try to jump straight to application without the conviction because like for whatever reasons, right? Like maybe they, they got all the way through into belief and then they were just like, okay, well, I don't like the way this feels. So what do I do to fix it? And they try to fast forward and then look up some sort of like, I don't know, like self-help book or like something that gives like, okay, so you became aware that you have anxiety and you want to overcome it. Okay. 
take my six week course to overcome anxiety. And you're like, okay. And so then you like take this course or read this book or whatever. And you're like trying to apply these like action steps to your life. And without the conviction though, you're just kind of, it's sort of half-hearted. And then like, you might not be consistent with it because whatever, like I tried it for a couple of weeks and it didn't work. Nothing happened or whatever, you know, um, I actually have seen people try to skip the conviction stage because like the belief was enough for them that they were like, okay, fine. Sure. I'm dramatized. Fix me doc. Give me, give me a pill. Give me a, give me a course or whatever. And then they like try to just forget about the fact that the conviction stage the part where like you're advocating for your own healing from a place of like self-worth and self-love that you truly like deeply believe that you are worthy of a life without this pain. If you skip over that stage, you're going to not be as successful at the application. I love that you said that because the previous examples that I've given is actually like a religious example, which is why so many people this happens all the time and you're going to see it very clearly is in religious examples, right? In a religious example, it's like, all right, do you know God exists? Are you aware of him in your life? Do you believe in God? Do you actually believe the teachings that we just laid out for you? Right. Mm -hmm. And then if someone goes, yeah, I mean, I believe in God, but like, I'm just going to like phone it in and like, application, right? I'm just going to like phone it in and like show up to church. And I go, well, what's missing there? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it? Like, what is actually going on there? Like, are you, and this is why I think conviction is something that we do need to like linger on because if we sit there and we go, you not having conviction is probably the thing Like if you miss that or you don't sit with that for a second and you just try to jump to like application, you very well might start feeling this like, okay, I don't feel like this is sustainable. You know what example just popped in my head? I got a visual because I always get these strong visuals sometimes. I I got this visual of um, a fire, a bonfire. And it's almost as if like all these first couple stages, like the knowledge, awareness, belief is like the building of like, when you get ready to build a fire and you like build your initial, like you get it all like set up, whatever you can do, like the, you know, the triangle style or the box style, whatever. And you, you've got it all ready and you're ready to go. And you're like, cool, let's light this puppy. And then you light it. You, you, you do it. You do application, right? You did all these three and then you light the fire and then you're like, cool, lit it. The end. And then you do nothing else because for me, conviction is the, is the stoking of the fire. It's Mm. the feeding of the fire. It's the like consistent putting new logs into it and like watching it and staying nearby it and making sure that this fire stays burning because you can build a great little fire at the beginning. You really can. And it can be perfect and beautiful and awesome. And it can light and it can provide this nice blaze and warmth for a couple minutes. And then what without the conviction, without the person, without staying there and like continually feeding it new logs, it's just eventually going to fizzle out. Right. It's like anyone can go to therapy once, like that's an application of the process, but like what keeps you going 
to therapy? Mm-hmm. What keeps you going to like, what keeps you going in your self-growth journey? And I gen- genuinely will tell people the only thing that's going to keep you going to and committed to this extremely difficult work is not only the belief, but the conviction that this is worthy of your change and worthy of your like transformation. Right. And so people are like, well, I bought the courses and I, and I bought the book and I went to, you know, I went to the therapy and I go, it's like very similar of like, that's a short lived dynamic. And this is why a lot of people will reference, like I've been to therapy once and I'm like, okay, I'm not trying to say it's all like, there's no, there's no like one pathway. There's other pathways to healing. But I sit there and I go, it's just like someone being like, yeah, I show up to church. And then on the way home, I emotionally abuse my kids. It's like, what is that? Where is the disconnect? Because we saw that like, there was a belief in these like principles of like genuine human integrity and genuine compassion and kindness and worthiness of all the people that apparently is in like God's kingdom. And like you showed up, but there is no real tangible follow through. This actually isn't showing up in your life. Right. And this is what I mean by like, I mean, I know I'm giving the religious example, but it's like in our healing journey, I can't say that there is ever an end to that journey. I can't because we can reach application stage. We can, so we can go back and forth. You can be at application stage, conviction stage, moving in and out between those. And you can literally find out a new trauma and then start back at the beginning with knowledge in another area of your life. Exactly. That was one thing. I'm glad you said that because that was one thing I actually was going to specifically point out is that you can be at various places of these stages of different topics and issues that you're having. So like you may feel like really, really good about, you know, you've, you've completely like processed and, and essentially like healed and like worked through a particular dynamic or wound that you have, and you can feel really good about that. And then you might, as you said, somewhere along the line in your life, realize that you have this other wound and you're like, Oh, here we are. Stage one (laughs) that just showed up. Hello. Um, and then there you go. Um, so, but that's where I think it's dangerous because people see that and they go, Oh, well then I'm not like, I thought I was healed. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I don't even know. I mean, I would speak very tenderly on that. Like ending narrative of like healed because in theory, like, you know, like CA, CA and I both like envision this stage of healing. Like you can be like fully have started to process. And like, of course that is a stage of healing and you can be like, okay, I've gotten through that initial trauma response. So sure. You can like label variations of like healed. Like I'm not having that trauma response anymore. So sure. But at the same time, we know trauma rewires our brain. It's a constant maintenance, right? So like, it's that concept of like, I cleaned. It's like when you clean, let's say that, like, can I say that the room is clean? Sure. Like it's cleaned. They're like, did you clean the room? I'm like, it's cleaned. Right. And I don't know if anyone else has kids or anyone else has dogs or anybody that like wreaks havoc in your house. But genuinely, I can say that the bathroom is cleaned and it continues to not be cleaned or or it continues to not stay cleaned if I do not maintain 
the Mm -hmm. cleanliness of that room or the bathroom or whatever. And that's similar to our healing journey is that you can say, sure, I feel like that's healed. And it's also constantly having to be maintained. So it's also healed, but it's also not healed. Right. And so there's like these variances of your envisioning of your stages. And so for us to not definitively say, oh, well, I got through that. And you were like, it's this I hear a lot of disappointment when I'm working with my trauma clients because they'll be like, I did get through it, Jamie. What do you mean? Like, why is this so so hard for me? And I'll be like, you have worked through this and it's continuing to be maintained. You have to continually interact with the way this trauma response comes up for you. Right. So you looking at it from a deficit mindset of, well, see, I must have not done enough work. I go, you did immense work. Exactly. I mean, if it was the first time you ever deep cleaned your bathroom, it would be such a job. Like it would take a a huge amount of effort. And when you got through that and that place was spick and span sparkling, you would be like, Ooh, finally, geez, that was a lot. And I'm done now. Right. But as you said, well, if people are going to continue using that bathroom, then like, no, it's going to need to be continually cleaned. But the hope and the goal is that like the maintenance level cleaning isn't going to have to feel as heavy as that, like very first time you ever deep cleaned it. But if you neglect that bathroom for several years, you're going to have to deep clean it again, you know? So it's like sticking with that, um, those like smaller maintenance steps is like consistent but it shouldn't be as, it shouldn't feel as like heavy as that like deep clean process. Right. And I also, I think there is some, there is a stuck point that we could speak to here is if you have done a lot of work and you discover a new bathroom in your house or you discover, or you discover that the bathroom you just cleaned uh, two days ago. So this was like recent, like you just did the work and someone went in there and like exploded and you're like, Oh my God, what did they do? Right. But it was like one instance, it was one occurrence. And you're like, I can't believe. And I hear a lot of people get stuck here because they'll say stuff like, it's like this weird, almost hesitancy for interacting with people because they're like, I work so hard to not be in an emotionally abusive relationship. And I don't ever want to date again. And I go, I hear you because I hear that trauma fear. Like it's that fear of, I never want to use that bathroom again. Exactly. And I go, we it's have clean. to no go to the bathroom. Going. It's yeah, clean. Exactly. No, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't interact with me. Don't do that. Right. And I go, it's the, it's literally a basic human need to interact with people. Yes. You are free to autonomously live your life. If you genuinely do not want to interact with someone in an intimate way, I don't will. I do not want to diminish that. I would ask people to genuinely say, is that autonomous or is that Mm. (laughs) fear-based? Is that you saying, no, 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 I'm not saying that out of fear. I'm actually just chill. I'm going to go to Maine and I'm going to go in a cabin. Okay, cool. Do your life and like live that beauty. Okay. But what I'm saying is I genuinely challenge people if they don't examine that it might be fear-based. It's that fear. It's that concept of like, you literally neglecting possibly a basic need. Cause if you genuinely value intimate partnerships and you're so traumatized, but you're like, just don't go in that bathroom, please, please. I'm just going to lock the door. I really don't want to deal with that. I can't do with any, right. It's people can get stuck here because mm-hmm. they have worked their butt off. They have really pushed themselves to get to this state of like, 
what seemingly feels like doable and, and, and homeostasis and they feel like it's stabilized and they get so scared to interact with people. And by the way, this can happen with friendships. People can be so burned with friendships. They can be so burned with workplaces, right? Where they start casting off entire groups of people or entire workplaces, or I will never work in an office again, right? Or I will never do this again. And I sit there and I go, well, first of all, that sounds like all or nothing. You're having a hard time holding the gray, obviously. Absolutely. You're having a hard time holding the gray. And when someone has a hard time holding the gray, it makes me immediately concerned, like therapeutic wise or personal growth wise, genuinely concerned if there's a fear-based response behind that. It might not always be, but I genuinely get concerned. Are you doing some of these interactions from just a place of, I'm so terrified that Mm -hmm. I will get hurt again? Yeah. Which is where people can get stuck. Yes. So where are we in our stages? at this point we're in application i mean i like the idea of yeah i liked uh, outlining stuckness though because the problem is is oh, so many people totally. can be like wow that's really beautiful but like i'm actually not i'm stuck between this and this or i'm stuck between this and this and so oh, yeah i mean any and depending on like what the topics are some are more tender than others so like you might get stuck at a different stage you know for for one of your issues you're working through versus another one especially things that have to do with interpersonal. Like, I'm glad that you brought up like friendships or dating relationships. Cause it's like, those ones can feel tricky to move forward with. Cause there's factors beyond your control when it's stuff that's just internal and just has to do with you. It's like, well, I can do this. Like I can handle this and I know how to maintain my own bathroom and I know how to interact with it gingerly. And I know how to clean it regularly because it's just mine. But then if you invite somebody else over and now you have a factor that's a little beyond your control, well, what if they put the toilet paper roll on wrong? Or what if they run the water too hard and it splashes in a weird way? Like I get it. Like it can be, it can be hard to like move forward in the process with interpersonal type things. But it also is, like you said, if that is a genuine necessary human need of yours, to connect with people as friends, to connect with somebody as an intimate partner, like, you know, don't neglect that. Don't neglect right. that need of yours. Right. Out of so fear. I do think it, I mean, it circles back to a few different themes when we talk about if we are journeying through the, through the stages of healing, and then we're getting to a place where we get scared for re-engaging with intimate partnerships or family relationships, or, you know, I had to go no contact, but I kind of have this urge to kind of ask, like, you know, are they willing to have an adult conversation now? Like, I, I, I'm hoping that they did some self-work, right? Like you're opening doors back up or you're, you're exploring new avenues that you previously like closed to protect yourself or boundaries you put up because you felt like you had to take that moment. Right. It's like, I'm closing down the house for a second so I can clean all the bathrooms. Okay. Sure. That's what people do. Like the, 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 um, the maintenance people at like theme parks, they'll close the entire bathroom because it's it's too intense, right? Mm -hmm. It's closing for maintenance for a little bit. You can put up those boundaries, those like harder boundaries in the beginning. And then when we're slowly opening back up, what I would sit there and say is if we are not actively attuned to, this is going to hit from old um, older episodes, but if we're not personally attuned to our own needs 
and the lines in the sand. Like I look at people and say, I am willing to help with this bathroom, but these are the parameters that need to be in place Mm -hmm. for interacting with this bathroom. Okay. These are my expectations. Mm -hmm. These are my expectations for the, the people interacting with this bathroom. All right. So toothbrushes and toothbrush holders, toothpaste and toothpaste holder, toilet paper reloaded, like whatever you can keep reiterate. But this is why it's hard because people are like, okay, but that means they could disappoint me. I could go into the bathroom and they could just like not listen to me. Okay. And this is where it's like that real rubber meets the road of the self journey and the self healing is that you can sit there and say, well, you know, my partner doesn't value that I clean the bathroom every day. And my partner doesn't, or my, my kids don't value that I clean the bathroom every day. And I'd say, all right, well, we can, you, you would need to like navigate those personal boundaries. And you could say, all right, so I've been responsible for cleaning this bathroom for the past 10 years. And now you're all teenagers. So I'm actually going to delineate some of these responsibilities. I'm not going to be completely responsible for all of these things. It was my responsibility when you were very young and you couldn't help yourself, but it's no longer my responsibility. So do you see how like actually leveling up in the stages is like, now we're not just beyond application, but we're, we're into these like active almost like topic based, like personal boundaries. And like, it is an application, but it's very like, you need to know with your own discretion, with your own conviction and your own power, you need to know, like, what are you going to tolerate? Are you going to tolerate like someone steamrolling over your knees? Are you going to tolerate someone acting a certain way? Right? Like I hear people all the time. They'd be like, well, they're in my house. So like, I kind of feel bad. Like putting up a boundary. And I go, I'm sorry, but if you're in your house and they're starting to say racist comments, like the only way you're going to feel powerful enough to like, say that's absolutely not acceptable is literally saying that's absolutely not acceptable. And like, I need, I'm inviting you to not speak like that in my home. Right. But this is where people are like, that sounds way too intense, Jamie. That sounds way too, that sounds way too powerful. And I go, take that narrative for a second, because racism is extremely important to have like, you know, belief and conviction about take that narrative for a second and put it into your own life for a second, take it out of that example and put it into your life and say, you literally being like, there's no way that I can say, I feel scared when you swear, when we have conflicts. And I, if I go, I sit there and I go, okay, so these are you realize you're in this like conviction stage and you're trying to apply. And what you're telling me is that you're sitting there like stuck because most likely because of past dramas, most likely because of past times you've tried to advocate for yourself, but it's like, you're getting to this point where you, you are now I don't want to, I don't want to say you're stuck here, but it's almost like you have this like skill to develop then. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's more like a call Mm -hmm. to action of deeper skill development, because I'm not saying you're not like, you know, you're not emotionally educated, but if you're sitting there and you're like, no, Jamie, like I couldn't tell my partner that like, I feel scared when they like call me the C word or they hurt me one word. And I go, 
this is where you have to almost like go back into the internal system and say, am I able to be safe in a relationship that doesn't allow for open dialogue, does, doesn't allow for my psychological safety, right? And that is why so many people avoid this because they're like, okay, well, I, I already did that work. Like, I know it's trauma and I know blah, 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 all the stages, right? And they get to this like avoidance stage where they're like, okay, but if I did that, that means we probably will break up. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm it will probably mean you'll break up. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to talk about that part of healing, that part of healing. I should add application right right after application, most likely is grief, right? But nobody wants to talk about that, right? Nobody wants, I'm just talking about like the growth pattern, but like now we're really talking about the loop of the pattern, right? And, And how we can kind of get into different stages with different topics. But it's this concept of like you understanding that, in application will not only be grief, but it will be a massive change up of the relationship dynamics. And there will most likely, right. There will most likely be loss. Mm -hmm. And even if there isn't loss or grief change itself is Is scary enough to get people stuck. Even just change is scary enough to get people stuck. Even if you are in a dynamic that like, you know, is not so, so intense that, you know, it it would have to like end or whatever. But like, if you have a particular dynamic going on for long enough, and then you start going through these stages and realizing that you're now at the, you know, conviction and application stage, you're looking down the road going, oh, when I start applying some of this, my life will start looking different. These interactions will start looking different. And because the unknown is always scary for us, for us as humans, there could be this part of you. That's like, I don't know if I'm ready. You know, you're like, you're in the line of the roller coaster and then you get in the roller coaster and now you're buckled in the roller coaster. And then this is, you're like sitting there going, wait a second. Oh my gosh, this thing's about to, this thing is about to go up. And then you're like, it's you're on the ride and then you're, and then all of a sudden it starts moving and you're like, here we go. Okay. And then you're going to actually start feeling what that change feels like. But for those couple like anxious moments ahead of time, when you're like, now you're at the front of the line, now you're getting in the coaster. Now you're getting buckled. You're going to have this moment where you're like, Oh, wait a second. If I start actually applying these things are about to happen in my life, my life will start looking different. And I think that's where maybe it becomes important to have like, not only like a real good relationship with yourself, but like, it's good at these times to have safety in, you know, a therapist or a good friend or like somebody who can like be there with you and for you while you process through these changes that are coming. Right. Cause like, I, it's hard to kind of, because I think people hear loss and they think negative, but loss is just like a shift of what was previously there. Right. So I look at like change is in theory loss, but it's more like, what am I losing with that change? I'm losing, I'm losing that like familiarity, which many people will choose what's familiar over what's growth Mm -hmm. because familiar is more predictable and growth is unpredictable. 
Mm-hmm. It's very, very common in, in healing journeys <laughs> that someone will be like, okay, well, I can actually predict what their response is going to be. So like, I'll just go along with whatever they want me to say. Um, because that's actually more familiar to me and I'm terrified of the alternative. Right. Okay. So that is definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. It's just that many people, if they just stop talking to application, it just sounds like this beautiful package. Like, oh yeah, cool. We'll walk through all of these things of healing journey and yeah. then we're on the path to healing and everything's on the door. And I go, but genuinely when we are in the stage of application, mm-hmm. there is the restart. There is the fear. I don't want you in my bathroom. There is the grief. There is the loss. There's the shifting. There's the change. And all of that stuff it goes back to our first episode. All of that stuff can feel like a re-traumatization. And this is why so many people get scared because they, they get to that point where they're like, oh my God, I'm actually like panicking because I don't think I'm strong enough if this person leaves me after I lay the boundary. Right. And they panic. Right. And it's because they're panicking because there's this unknown part of this journey that you're scared what will happen is you actually implement the change. And that can feel like re-traumatization because many people feel as though if they have identified themselves, let's say as a mother or as this person's friend, or they identified as this workplace, I am a worker, right? And if they say, wait, if I leave this job, that's my, that's my identity. And I go, if that, if you're there, yes, shifting in that mind space will feel like a re-traumatization because there is this like adherence or this joining that occurred to that bond. And it's not as though it's kind of this Buddhist conceptualization of what is love without attachment. And I, and it, it speaks to attachment, right? Can you get to that point? And it's like, it is not to say, right. We're not all or nothing here. It's not to say that you can't be bonded to things or care about things, but genuinely we do have to be weary when something becomes our complete immersed and intertwined identity. Because when we are trying to advocate for change, let's say I've been dating this guy for 10 years. And I realize over the course of like, you know, the last couple of years, it's so harmful to my psyche. It's so incredibly unsafe. And I sit there and I go, maybe I have a kid with them. Maybe I have a business with them. Maybe my entire life is intertwined. And that became my identity, right? So now what are we asked to do? We are asking ourselves to do the definition of trauma, which is a severing of identity. Okay. So now we're going to choose the familiar over the unknown. I'm going to choose the known over the unknown. We're going to choose comfort over the dissonance, right? But then I tell people both things are uncomfortable. Both, both, are uncomfortable. States, both states are uncomfortable and one leads to change. One leads to growth. One leads to authenticity. Both are extremely hard and one leads to more authentic self. Okay. So this is where we're journeying. Obviously, you know that a lot of our stuff ends with this concept of we want you to become attuned and self-advocating and aligned to your authentic self. It's just, we aren't trying to like educate in an impractical way. I actually think that's, I don't want to say there's no benefit, but there is not like, there is not value in my educate, like the way I'm going to educate. If I just talk to you in the clouds, 
right? I want to talk to you and like what this actually looks like. And like CA's done all this work. She gets it too. Like, it's this concept of like, if we go back to the first episode and we are now having to say, wait, I feel like if I move forward, it might be re-traumatizing. We go back and listen to the first episode. It literally is your trauma will speak into your body. It will speak into your life. Okay. And you forcing yourself, right. Against your own consent is where this is going to create more problems. But if you can sit there and say, no, I'm ready. Yes. I'm ready to advocate. I can fully consent to this. It will change my life. It will create new relationship patterns. It will end relationship patterns. And I am fully consenting to that. Mm -hmm. That is where you find your power. That is where you find your voice. Okay. Because if you are not consenting, this is where people get angry when things don't go perfectly. My therapist told me I should do this. And then this happened. And then I go, but immediately I hear that that wasn't autonomous. Cause I immediately hear that it got, it got aligned with somebody else. Right. My best friend told me that I needed to do that. And so I just did it. And I go, well, that's you not having conviction. That's you saying, oh, well, I believe that's wrong. And I'm just going to apply it. And I go, well, you need to actually like have that own, like, autonomy yeah. has to be internal. Exactly. It has to come right? from you. Yep. So when someone says and immediately, so they important. told me to, right. Yeah. I say, well, part of your healing journey does need to come into, you need to literally hold the helm mm. and say, sure. Four people told me I had to go right. Four people told me I had to go left. What is my autonomous choice? Mm-hmm. I'm going right. And so when I go right and I hit that like barrier, yes, I actually fully am aligned with that decision. I say, yes. yeah, I don't blame the people that told me to go right. I don't, I don't blame them. I say, I made that decision. I decided that. Yeah. I decided that. I know that there were implications to those decisions and that was fully my decision. So this is what I mean by like, when you are making these like very, very tough calls, when you're in that point of healing, when you're asking yourself, do I lay that boundary? Do I not lay that boundary? Do I make that call? Do I not make that call? You do need to be like fully aligned with when you do that. Because people are waiting on the sidelines to weapon, like to be like, oh, well, no, see, that was because you went to therapy. Like your, see, like everything, because, because, right. This is what a lot of people weaponize mental health work in is because, oh my God, that person went to, went to, you know, worked on themselves and then they ended up divorced. So, you know, by, by just the, some good that did them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But just, yeah. But just by the, you know, the the walking through of like the link, it's like, oh, well then it must be therapy's fault. And I go, or the divorce was a beautiful thing because they finally advocated for themselves for the first time in their life. And they finally got out of that abusive situation and they finally took back the helm. Is it a beautiful thing? Sure. Is it extremely messy? Sure. Is it extremely like sad and filled with grief? Sure. Those are all all things that are occurring. These can all be true. And uh, yeah, so I think, that is really good to kind of loop back in our, our very first episode ever. Make sure that you're moving through this with full autonomous consent, which is necessary for conviction. Like you can't really be convicted on something if you're not consenting 
autonomously inside of yourself to that. So that is, that's linked in together and also support, like, because of the fact that as you move through this, as we just outlined, and you're now in the application stage, because that is filled with a lot of unknowns and a lot of, you know, losses and gains and just a lot of ups and downs, like being connected with other people who have gone through similar things. It's like if we use the roller coaster example, like going on that roller coaster and bringing someone along with you that's done it 20 times. So that way, as you're on that ride and you're scared and you're going up another one of those hills, they're like, it's good. It's okay. We got this. Like I've done it 20 times. You're good. We, you can do this. Like you're going to, you're going to be okay at the bottom of the hill. I promise, you know, like that is, I think really helpful. Right. And I think that's where we we've saw the need for community and like, you know, you've heard us mention this in a few episodes, but we are trying to build our Facebook community. It's the unlearned community. Why do we think this is important? Why do we actually end with a lot of like finding people that actually are doing the work and can be with us on this journey? They can be like the co-passengers, the co, you know, they can be the, the, the safe people we didn't have growing up. Right. Why is it so important? Because if you've never been in a psychologically nourishing relationship, just that dynamic can be healing. It can be hope filled and it can give you more conviction right? It actually can found more passion and more conviction. You can be like, no, but I know that's possible. I had that in this friendship or I had that in this dynamic. So if I can't see it with my, you know, you know, my authority figure or my parent or my sibling, or I can't see it with my partner and you know, it's possible. Oh my God. That definitely helps with conviction because you can see it. Yes. So much. You can see it like lived, right? Which is power. Uh, all right. So we'll, we'll, we'll just remind you right now. It's the unlearned community on Facebook. We are going to start developing some content over there and developing that community. So join us over there. And yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollect itself and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that
that's it. The last thing I want to tell you is I want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become. And this is how we do the work.